there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the, let me repeat, the Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy, Mark. Hey, Frank. Hey, listener. Uh, you can find us, that's Mark and I, on Spotify, yep. Apple Podcasts, and now Amazon Music Podcasts. Ooh, that's right. We release new episodes every Friday. So you can get your weekend started with a big old bang bang boom ba doom ba da ba bang bang boom. That's right. And if you're a new listener, this is the podcast where Mark and I recommend albums to each other and we review them. Plus, we have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series, Mark, where we're going to dig into a band's catalog and we're going to see what comes out on the other side. That's right, Frank. Or in our Verse series where we'll pit two albums against each other and make them duke it out for total Stereo domination. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. That, beautiful. Beautiful. And Mark, you know, you have to check us out on Instagram and our new Facebook group. And we'd like to drop additional content that will hopefully leave you wanting more of our musical goodness and Mark's random nonsense. Yep. Now, if you have a record that you want us to check out, drop a comment where you find us. Uh, while you're at it, subscribe, like, review, rate. So I'm going to say this as I always do. Of course, you do to me as well. Mark, how are you, my man? Frankie, I am so excited uh, for what we've got going on this week. We've got, we've got so much going on this week. I really can't wait. In fact, while you read this next bit, I just remembered something I was going to do. I'll be right back. Okay, there you go. So that is Mark, and he will be right back, folks. Anyway, that's awesome, Mark. So... Much like our episode that we did on Bob Dylan, his new album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, which is in our archives, so you could definitely check that out. Uh, where do we begin with someone that has the name Bruce Springsteen? That's right. That's who we're going to be talking about. Mr. Bruce Springsteen. His whole career or his accomplishments really can't be captured in one episode, but we're going to do our best to get some good stuff in here. So at 71, this is Bruce's 20th studio album. That he released recently with Letters to You. Jesus H, Mark. The man is 71, so we're getting old, right? <laughs> Anywho, Bruce is an interesting guy. His brain definitely works differently than ours with regards to how he conceptualizes things. <laughs> and that's apparent. And how he comes out and his music. And and what's interesting, Mark, is you, you're currently reading his book. Is that correct? Well, yes-ish. Okay. Um, I'm currently listening to Born to Run, Bruce's autobiography, read by the author, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild because you've heard, uh, or if you've seen him live, particularly his recent Broadway performance or even some of his older recordings, like the uh, 75 to 86 recordings, um, you've heard him talk about his, his childhood and his struggles um, with his dad and like his lawyer that said uh, he would find him guilty when when Bruce was just guilty of be being run over while riding a motorcycle, um, you know, but, but he, they thought because of his hair, you know, it was one of the things Bruce loves telling that story. Um, so it's interesting, but once you really uh, get past that and uh, you get into his passion about rock and roll, it's really inspiring and, and the, his drive to be a rock and roll frontman, it, It's really pretty cool. Um, you know, everything from, from getting that first record deal um, to how his his relationships with the 
players and the the record studio. It's really an, an interesting story. I'm very excited about it, as you can tell. I, I'm also almost done. I'm pretty sure he makes it through the end. Um, <laughs> look, in, in all fairness, um, you know, we're taking this very seriously. Frank and I promise not to just fanboy through this. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of funny when the when Bruce's first album came out, Greetings from Asbury Park, um, a lot of people were so impressed by his ability to write these big um, Dylan-esque songs without being cliche. And the reason I mention that is because the the book, he is so ham-fisted with the cliches. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. Um, just because, like, everything's like a cliche. Like, it, it, it's interesting. I get why people thought it was cute. But, like, when you when you look at those early albums, you go, like, who the fuck wrote this book? And, like, yeah. And he also wrote those songs. It's, it's kind of a weird disconnect. But it really plays into you know, getting to know the man, the myth, and the legend. So it's really kind of cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, much like our Bob Dylan episode that we did in the archives, I think prior to getting into the new album and all of its offerings, I think it's best if we did a list for old Brucey. Um, but it's hard just to limit it to albums, songs, or performances. So, Mark, let's do a top 10 all things, right? Yep. So it could be anything: songs, lyrics, albums, moments, performance, or anything about the boss. Let's alternate, and uh, you could kick us off. What do you say, there, old chum? Absolutely. So for me, at number ten, my number ten is going to be the album for "Born in the USA." Uh, this record is a great example of how people miss the best parts of Bruce Springsteen. To most people, this album is just "Born to Run," or excuse me, "Born in the USA" and "Dancing in the Dark." Yep. Uh, glory days if you've got the right dad who is hip enough to get past uh, what the radio wanted to play. I've got no issues with those songs, but the record has so much more. It does. Cover me. Working on the highway. Yes. Down by on train. I'm on fucking fire, Frank. No Ooh. surrender. I'm going down. Darlington County. Too many people uh, you know, think that this is the Bruce Springsteen records. Excuse me. To many people. Yes, you're right. This is the Bruce Springsteen record. And I can't argue that. And and, and I, I won't. It's just not number one for me. In fact, it lands at number 10. Um, not of his albums, but just the Bruce moments for me. I just hope it's because of how amazing the record is and not just because some people can't get past, you know, what they consider to be his only real hits. Yeah, but you're right, though. Such a good album. It goes is way it beyond it. Uh, way beyond those hits and uh, what a what a great way to kick off this list. So my number 10 is also an album and it's going to be oh. the album Magic. So I, I was late to the game with being obsessed uh, with Bruce. I, I mean, if I was a few years older and being born on Long Island like I was, I probably would have been more into him at an earlier age as opposed to like, you know, being exposed to Bon Jovi. <sighs> I know. Anyway, 2007's Magic is an album that I felt for the people that that knew about him and new fans were into other that were into like other music like like punk. Um, I, I think it's his best of the most recent Springsteen albums. It's to me better than the Rising. Uh, every song on there is a gem and a half. Uh, it captures serious topics and it fuses it with that classic E Street band sound. Listen, Radio Nowhere, Gypsy Biker, Girls in Their Summer Clothes, uh, Magic, Last to Die. I mean, there's something in here for everyone. So Magic, that's my number 10, Mark. Absolutely. Great record. Great record. Uh Number nine for me is going to be Springsteen on Broadway. I, I mentioned nice. it at the top for a good reason. Um, I had honestly expected this 2018 performance to be the last we would hear from the boss in terms of a, a record or a live performance because you know, at the time it was 69. Um, 69. 
you know, when he recorded it and couldn't, you know, possibly need a new album to build, you know, an extra garage on, you know, one of his many beautiful homes, right? He couldn't possibly need the money for that. Uh-huh. I'd have retired at this point and or probably well before, but not the boss. He, he delivers a beautiful retrospective on his life and his career. His storytelling is clear and well delivered. Musically, he outplays like at least 90% of the Earth's population, uh, if not more. Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. While it feels like a performance that that geared a long that was geared to longtime Bruce fans, um, he has a way of connecting to people because he's so heartfelt in his presentation of his life's work. It, it, it's really an, an astounding performance, and it, it's really worth um, getting this intimate moment of of simplicity with him. You know, the Springsteen shows are known for being three plus hours long, and these you know you get the full band with like eighty seven guitar players and like a thousand didgeridoos and uh, more Aboriginal percussion, you know, whatever he's yeah, getting on, right? Totally. Um, but for to get this paired down, you know, for the most part it's him in an, an acoustic guitar or him in a piano or him and uh, accompanied by uh, a friend or a fellow musician, his wife, and they do some really lovely songs together. It, it's a great intimate experience with the boss that, uh, you know, I would have never gotten. That's otherwise. awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. That's a great one to put on the list. Um, <clears throat> my next is a song called Jersey Girl. So Ooh. it's a little bit of an indirect way, of course, for me giving Tom Waits some love here. Uh, most people think of it as an original Bruce song, uh, much like they think, ironically, Downtown Train is a Rod Stewart song, <laughs> which is really a Tom Waits song. Uh, it's a super tender tune, and the boss reworks some of the lyrics. So instead of whores on 8th Avenue, we get girls on the avenue. Uh, Bruce, though, does the song Lots of Justice, and I think that's why it's a fan favorite. It's a romantic login with uh, gritty details, and I love it. And I know it's a fan favorite for most people from Jersey. So Bruce does this well. Jersey Girl, the song. That's my next one. Very nice. Great choice. Uh, for me, uh, at number eight, um, from Bruce's 2009 album, Working on a Dream, and featured in the major motion picture film, The Wrestler, starring none other than Mickey Rourke, yes. uh, Mickey apparently told Springsteen about the movie and asked him to write a song for it. Bruce did and played it for Mickey and director Darren Arnosky, pretty sure I said that right, before a gig, and then let them have it for no charge. Like I said, he doesn't need an extra garage. <laughs> right. <laughs> Supposedly, the origins of the song are based on the lost and resumed relationship between Bruce and Mickey, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, It's a pretty straightforward tune for the boss, but it played perfectly at the end of the film, capping the loneliness and sacrifice the wrestler makes for his craft, which really speaks beautifully to what uh, Bruce is doing here. I did also mention this to Frank earlier, and I want to say it uh, here on the Internet so that it is uh, forever going to be etched in my tombstone. This song doesn't have an ending. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It just kind of fades out, and it, it works like that. But it, it's kind of interesting when you look at the lyrics for this song and look at the way it's presented. Kind of doesn't end. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And but that moment though, as you said earlier too, uh, off the air, uh, when when the screen hits, when it ends, and the credits roll, and you get that song going for the first time, you're like, "Whoa, this is this is pretty cool." So yeah, the effect uh, of it is, is is beautiful. I don't. It's one of those interesting questions for me in terms of being on uh, that record is did they just put it at the end because he had the material? Yeah. That's a good question. Or, or, or did he go like, Oh yeah, this will work for the next record. I mean, who knows? Yeah, no, it's, it's good to, good to question that. Cause I agree. 
Um, the next is something in general, which is, is just live performance. I've been lucky enough to see him uh, live twice, once in 2008 and the other with you, my man, in 2010. Uh, I mean, what energy for someone uh, after all these years? Uh, each time he went for three plus hours and just never stopped. It was a great experience to see someone with so much enjoyment uh, out of out of their craft. And, you know, it's not just the greatest hit set list here that, that most bands do. I mean, he dives deep into stuff that was on tracks, B-sides, fan requests all those things of course he's going to play the songs people know but it's not just your typical set list so he he really tries to uh just appease everyone and it's awesome so yeah live performances that's my next one yeah if i remember correctly when we saw him he played hava nagila yeah he did you're right so i mean like hey look three plus hours you got to fill that time but yep you know was interested in making sure everybody had a good time Number seven for me is going to be Hungry Heart. Nice. You know, it's the lost romantic in me that just loves this song from like that 1980s, excuse me, from the 1980s double LP, The River. Hungry Heart harkens back to a 50s rock opera, uh, complete with amazing back vocals, a killer saxophone line. Um, an amazing, there's actually a really cool organ solo in there. Um, and of course, Bruce delivers a sad tale about chasing your heart that keeps you singing along the whole time. It's, it's beautiful. It's sad. It's Bruce's ability to capture, um, comedy and tragedy equally well, uh, that makes him such a great storyteller and, and hungry heart, um, despite being one of his popular songs really delivers that beautifully. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think it's actually one of the, in my opinion, one of the more poppy ones that gets um, overlooked based on, yeah. yeah, based on everything in comparison to everything else. So great, great, absolute tune there. Uh, my next one's also a song uh, and it's called Because the Night. So where many think that Jersey Girls Bruce's song, uh, some may not know, but that Because the Night was actually uh, penned by Bruce and the song was written during the darkness on the edge of town sessions and Bruce was struggling to finish it. Now, producer Jimmy Iovine uh, was producing also Patti Smith. He wanted Patti to have a hit and he asked Bruce if she could have it. He replied, yeah, if she could do it, then she could have it. Uh, It's just such a well-written song. And and I think of it, it, to think of it as a potential throwaway by Bruce is just completely astonishing. Not a throwaway, but a giveaway. Um, It's astonishing. And we have a live version version excuse me on uh, bruce's live record and a studio version on the promise just an amazing tune man i mean everything connects there verses chorus big stuff going on uh because the night yeah great excellent choice excellent choice um yeah so uh number six uh i picked an album here in fact i picked a uh a four lp release the live 75 to 85 yeah you did my my first experience with the boss live um this massive four lp 40 something tracks three and a half plus hours spanning so good 10 years of live shows it's simply the best you'll ever get short of being there and and since i was only three at the the latest of these performances uh i'm happy they're here for the world to experience i I don't need to sell you on this if you love especially early springsteen and haven't experienced this record yet um you're missing out so good such a good one all right my next is um so 
it'll make sense, but it, I'm coining it as London calling. So mm-hmm. Bruce always admired the great Joe Schumer of the clash. Uh, sure. Bruce and the E street band performed the clashes London calling at the Hyde park festival in 2009. However, the performance I'm talking about is at the Grammys in 2003 after Schumer passed. Uh, it's the boss, little Stevie, Elvis Costello and Dave Grohl all performing London calling and it's glorious. So that's a great Bruce moment for me. Yeah. As you know, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know how Frank and I feel about the clash. That was just an absolutely phenomenal moment um, yeah. to see, to see one of our heroes really celebrated by arguably one of the best songwriters in the last 30 years. Yeah. So, amazing. Amazing. At this point, it's like 50 years. Holy crap. <laughs> I know. At number five, as mentioned earlier by Frank in uh, 2007's album Magic, I'm going with the song Gypsy Biker. Oh, so good. So yeah. good. This song connects to, to uh, a fantasy I've had since uh, I was a child of uh, a gypsy biker uh, before I understood what gypsy uh, is or was um, and, and why my experience with riding a motorcycle, excuse me, with my own experience of riding a motorcycle and feeling that freedom that comes uh, from two wheels on an open highway, Bruce manages to capture that emotion of, of waiting for the rider to return and that need to ride the, the paved earth into the sunset and just completely disappear from the world. Uh, it was an emotion I had trouble really forming words around, um, but was able to, but as I learned to ride, excuse me, uh, and I had Bruce to kind of articulate it. I, I knew it was true. Um, it's one of those songs that other people will will easily gloss over, but for me, it holds like just this absolute weight and and really beauty of longing and loss and the need to 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 free yourself by chasing the open road. Um, I, I absolutely just adore this, this so song, good. and it grows on you too. Like the more you listen to it, the more like yeah. just cements as to how good of a tune that is so good yeah that that woo-woo part like the oh. never gonna you guys have heard me half sing shit before i'm not gonna do it to you now it it just like uh it crawls up your spine and into your brain it's beautiful so good so good well next i have an album uh nebraska so nebraska is oh. a bunch of songs right uh well it's, it's more than that right it's a bunch of stories and it's pretty ballsy uh it, it was the the first time in my early getting into Bruce where I saw kind of the parallel with Dylan regards to songwriting due to the stripped back nature. I mean, it's a demo version of a potential album recorded in his bedroom with all these intricate stories of trials and tribulations. Uh, What we are hearing here is as real as it gets through these rough demo versions. Listen from the songs, Atlantic city mansion on the hill, highway patrolman reason to believe the album will take out your exposed parts and make them run a marathon. It's brilliant. Nebraska. That's my next. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to see Nebraska and raise you darkness on the edge of town. Nice. Oh, great album. Yeah, 1978. For me, this is the boss's first attempt, not at a concept album, but as at a themed album. Yeah. Um, that's not to say he wanted the record to have a, a distinct, he wanted it to have this distinct sound and energy that was its own and simply have you know, more than just having you know one main character that kind of runs through it. Um, and he really nailed that feeling, that experience of the darkness on the edge of town. Really did. You know, he'd do it again with albums like The River and, of course, Nebraska, The Ghost of Tom Joad, which I will be talking about later. Um, you know, but back to darkness. We had amazing tracks like Badlands, Adam Raised the Cane, Something in the Night, 
racing in the streets, the promised land, streets of fire, prove it all night. And of course the title track, 10 songs, 42 minutes, damn near perfection. Yeah. Adam raises a cane, a candy's room. That's another one. Oh, so good. Yeah. I mean, like, it, I, I literally had to go, like, oh, I shouldn't just literally list the entire I know, album. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, look, it's, it's just this great record of getting into that dark place. You know, we talked a lot last week about the gleam and and how the Avit brothers find themselves in dark places looking for the light. Yeah. This record is about Bruce being in the dark. And it's dark, and he's he, he he doesn't have to look for the light. He's got to create the light. He's got to tear down the walls around him to find it. It's just so dark and so heavy and so brooding and so beautifully it's legit dark. Yeah, okay. so master of that tragedy. You know, the flip side of the comedy. He's he's just the master of it. Yeah, oh, such a good album. Such a good album. Uh, my next is a song from an album that you mentioned earlier, but it's the song Downbound Train. So speaking Ooh. of Nebraska, actually, this song was recorded during the Electric Nebraska sessions and appears on the Born in the USA album. It's such a beautifully captured song about loss of a loved one. And to me, it's actually an outlier on the album. The lyrics are so masterfully positioned and really give you like a pale and vacant feeling inside. Uh, the jangly chords and the guitars just adds to its mystique. Uh, one of my favorite songs by the boss for sure and it should also be noted if you check out the kurt vile cover um i think you'll be pleased because he does a really awesome job on it so downbound train that was my next on the list very nice my uh, my next one is the wild the innocent and the e street shuffle oh, so now, last week i did mention this might be my favorite album and, and it could be but as i'm reading this list to you uh it sits at three why great question i'm happy you asked it's easy <laughs> to understate the complexity of this record, but if you had to pull one track out and point at it, it, it would be Rosalita come oh. out tonight. Bruce puts everything out on the line for Rosie. The The rhythm section is thick and, and drives. While the, the big man, I mean, Clarence just blows the house down with his horn. <sighs> And you're just there dancing, right? And like you can feel Bruce jump on the hood of a car and and belt his heart out to Rosalita, convincing her, convincing yeah. you to climb out the window and explore the night. The next thing you know, you're, you're in a moonlit field, laying on the back of a pickup truck, falling in fucking love with Bruce Springsteen, laughing, and most importantly, falling in love with Bruce Springsteen. Yes, the, the kid from the wrong side of the tracks, but god damn it, you love him. And that's uh. just one track from the boss's sophomore record. I know. So Ugh. I could have just picked that one song and I could sit here and pull apart the Wild, the Innocent, the East Street Shuffle and show you why each song makes that record amazing. It only takes Rosalita. That song will blow your fucking brains out of your ass. The whole <laughs> record's amazing. So good. Oh, love Thank that you. record. Um, <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, uh, I'm exhausted. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, the next thing I have just in general is like his box sets. Um, listen, tracks features 66 unreleased tunes from Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town and the River. Uh, I'm sorry, Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town and the River sets are filled with so much goodness. Uh, it, it's a wet dream for anyone who's an avid Bruce fan and collector. Uh, tracks is so many great 
well, tracks like Thundercrack, Bring All the Night, Roulette, Be True, Brothers Under the Bridges, 83, Janie, Don't You Lose Heart, Janie we'll be talking about in a little bit, and more. Uh, the Darkness on the Edge of Town is great because you get a replica of his notebook where you can see the lyrics and just a That's whole cool. bunch of a whole bunch of cool stuff. Cool. Uh, I, love, have, I love having these displayed in my bookcase. So uh, his box sets, I want more of them, bring them on. So Absolutely. I, could, I couldn't disagree with you if you fought me. Um, for me, number two is, is uh, The Ghost of Tom Jones. Oh. I could use this moment to tell you how Rage Against the Machine introduced me to Bruce Springsteen. And the, um, you know, this song, this album are so much more important than, than the cover Rage Against the Machine did. While it's impressive and, and, and important for me, the original song in the album hold so much more gravity so good um, you know released in 1995 it's his 11th studio album and only his second acoustic album for those of you listening on a podcast i'm doing air quotes um you know, winning the grammy for grammy for best contemporary folk album um you know the title track is taken from you know the characters of john steinbeck's novel the grapes of wrath who i fucking hate john steinbeck but i love this song right um, exactly <laughs> Bruce uses the ghost to explore the suffering of the Dust Bowl era and how the repercussions of the times are still being felt. Uh, this theme would, would stretch the length of the record from tracks like Straight Time uh, about trying to keep out of jail to Sonola Cowboys about two brothers from Mexico trying to make a better lives for their families and end up in a meth lab and the risks that come with it. To a song like Dry Lightning. How beautiful is Dry Lightning? Oh, beautiful. How the, the phenomenon relates to the human heart. Um, and, of course, we get my personal favorite uh, from the, the record, Youngstown. Youngstown. Springsteen finds a way to put an entire town's sorrow in one song. You know, an industrial town built on the back of war, dark and hard. Oh. We hear many tales of the men of this town who would do the jobs to provide for their families, returning from war to work in, in the furnaces, the blast furnaces, a job suitable for the devil himself, smokestacks reaching like the arms of God into a sky of soot and clay. Oh my God. When I die, I don't want no part of heaven. I wouldn't do heaven's work well. I pray the devil comes and takes me to stand in the fiery furnaces of hell. Holy shit, dude. Like, this is the emotion of a whole fucking town that has done nothing but but support the rest of the world in their war efforts like it's insane and like to have that realization of how dark and how solace and how like miserable this existence is that they'd rather go to hell and work the furnaces because they can't contemplate a life in heaven that didn't involve this knowing suffrage. It's insane. It's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. He took you to Youngstown. If you ever been to Youngstown, yep, I've there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, so Oof. good. Chills, mm -hmm. chills, chills Chill. from the explanation. <laughs> Uh, my number two on the list mm -hmm. is uh, the album Greetings from Asbury Park. Um, so, like any musical. Yep, like any musical artist I love, uh, my favorite records for them will be ever-changing. Uh, however, at this moment, uh, like The Wild and the Innocent is yours, uh, 
Greetings from Asbury Park uh, is mine. It's his first album. I mean, he was 22 writing these types of songs. It's Dylan mixed with Van Morrison. He multiplied the lyrics in these songs by tenfold uh, in comparison uh, to, to the music. And you just have these just massive songs growing up. Mary Queen of Arkansas, Lost in the Flood. Uh, it's Hard to Be Saint in the City for You, Angel Spirit of the Night. The album is just fantastic from front to back. Uh, greetings from Asbury Park. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that choice so much, Frank, that my number one pick is Lost in the Flood. There you go. <laughs> you know, like, like Frank said, it's from 1973's Greetings from Asbury Park. Lost in the Flood is nothing oh. short of an opera of the times. A, a soldier returning from war, a, racer's chase, a racer chasing the line into a storm, and Bronx's best possible, complete with five quick shots. Perhaps one of Bruce's most poignant narrative numbers the flood connects all of these characters. So what is the flood? It's something within each of us, or is it something in each of our characters, a desire, a, a trauma untreated? Perhaps it's, it's reality. Whatever it is, whatever the flood actually is, Bruce paints their tales as vividly as anything you've ever seen on TV or film. You get everything you need to know about each of these characters and you fall in love with them and you mourn each of their deaths. All while making you realize you personally are capable of being lost in the flood. Yes. Oh. So, I got Bound for Glory. Yep. Blue and white, red, white, and blue flash paint. Yep. Tattooed on me because of this fucking song. I don't even know. Oh. Just a beautiful song. Go out of your way to listen to it. It's some. It's one that the casual Bruce fan probably doesn't have on their radar, but I'm going to tell you, please have it on your radar and check it out. Please, please, please. please, please. It's Frank, number one pick. Number one pick. All right, my number one pick comes from the same album, but it's it's live. It's a live version of it. So Spirit mm-hmm. in the Night, which is from Greetings from Asbury Park, but this is from the Hammersmith Odeon in London uh, from 1975. So my current favorite album, uh, with that comes my favorite all-time Bruce song. So this has to, it's a pretty much, I would say that this has been a constant and with my favorite Bruce song. And this particular performance is, is that constant. Not only is this song amazing um, with its story and and really it's, um, uh, it's a story of, uh, of youth and coming of age and all that good stuff. But this performance is filled with so much more raw energy and attitude than any other live version and the studio version. Uh, The band is at its early peak here with Clarence Clemens destroying the sax, little Stevie's presence um, on the guitar where he looks like a gangster, uh, Max pounding away at the drums. If you watch the video, Bruce is not even playing guitar, which allows him this room to really create an energetic performance. If you haven't seen this, please go ahead and do so. This performance is absolutely amazing. It's five times more aggressive than it is on the album um they they absolutely destroy it so spirit alive the live version from 1975 in london that's my favorite bruce moment yeah i mean amazing choice absolutely amazing choice spirit of the night is just it, you said it and i just started singing it and all i can hear is the girls in the back oh no oh no it's so good it's so love. good it's so good love so ah. good all right mark so yeah, we did a little sigh. So let's get. So now we're going to talk to letters to you. 
<laughs> so, yeah. Mark, here we are in the land of quarantine, and bam, we get a new Bruce album. Uh, the first, they say, with the E Street Band since 2014's High Hopes. Uh, I was initially torn uh, because I about it when I heard about it. I didn't like Western Stars at all, and people raved about it, and I thought it was a snooze fest. However, then some excitement started to brew inside of me because I'm like, okay, cool, we get a new Bruce album. Uh, this album was recorded live in the studio with no overdubs, and we both found it to be interesting. Um, and I, of course, I want your thoughts on it is that some of the marketing was that it features three tracks originally written prior to greetings from Asbury park. So Mark, that's an interesting angle to take, right? With regards to the marketing for this, don't you think? It, it is. And what I found really interesting was not so much that they were songs from the, the early seventies, but they were referred to as unreleased classics. If, if they were classics, why hadn't they been released before now? Right. Right. Um, so it was definitely an interesting one of the it was one of the first clues that something odd was going on here for me. Um, you know, that said, I'm, I'm happy to get these songs, but I'm if I'm being honest with myself about this record, I'm, I'm leading towards the case of writer's block. Bruce claims to have had uh, in the writing process back in April, the year before it was recorded. Um, and this seems a little bit more like, hey, I've got nine songs. Here's three more I haven't released previously on any of my other B-sides. Why not just fill out the rest of the album with them? Um, we'll get to each one of those tracks. Um, but for me, they're just okay. And referring to them as unreleased classics is more of a more about sales than speaking truth to what's going to be on this record. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely interesting and something that both of us noticed right away. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely interesting. So, all right, Mark, so why don't you kick us off with the with the first track right here? Absolutely. One Minute, You're Here is the name of the first track. Yes. I really don't know why this song is the opener, especially with the title track being the next track and the way that track opens. We'll get to it. Right. We don't get those classic Springsteen details that not at first a, a big black train coming and going, but no word on where or why or when or what it has to do with any of the other couplets that he wrote for this song. Uh, he relies far too heavily on the one minute you're here, the next minute you're gone. It's clear enough as a metaphor um, what he's trying to talk about. It, it works with each section. The song just doesn't do anything. Um, and unlike the train that could be going anywhere, it, it just kind of goes nowhere. Go goes nowhere. Yeah. So I initially wanted more of a bang from an E Street album, yeah. you know, coming out of the gates for the opening track. Um, but I guess based on the next song, which we'll talk about now, it, it kind of makes sense. So I'm moderately okay with it. It's a soft folky tune and, and fitting to the tone that that's going to be set. Now the boss has lost a few bandmates from uh, Danny Federici and of course, Clarence Clemens, who this song I think is may, maybe about, and listen, I'm a sucker for carnival related lyrics. So it is welcomes things like red river running, uh, yeah, so those are welcome. Uh, but on the Red River running along the edge of town, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more aggression from the guitar as opposed to like the softening musical landscape we get. Because to me, and I could be wrong, but to me, it crosses that contemporary line for me. Uh, you know, not the worst opening track, but um, but I knew and I know and I hoped that there's going to be better on the album. So, <laughs> so the next song we get is letters letter to you. Right. So I like the intro and you could feel that 
in this studio, this is Ron recorded with no overdubs. Uh, the opening F sharp minor chord really sounds like Tom Petty's Refugee. So I, I kind of like, uh, and I like the opening lines like neath the crowd of mongrel trees. I pulled that bothersome thread, uh, got down on my knees, grabbed my pen and bowed my head. I was like, okay, here we go. Now we're talking. Uh, the chorus, I like it the first time around when he mentions my letter to you, but like about after the third time, it's starting to drag. Uh, it's not a bad song at all. And yes, I am very particular and critical when it comes to someone like Bruce because of what he's done is so inhuman uh, musically. Uh, I have I have expectations to be set, but um, you know, the song was just okay for me. What about you? Yeah, this should have been the opening track of right. the album. Uh, you know, so deliberately sold as the return of the E Street Band. Um, lyrically, I wish there was, you know, this were the opening phrase and someone else had taken over because it goes nowhere other than right. tell us that there is a letter to you and he's put it all in a letter to you. Just give me the letter. I don't right, get, I want the letter now. I need the letter. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's 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 a it, it's a MacGuffin. I don't need a song about a MacGuffin. I I need this thing. It really <laughs> bothered me. Um, that said, kept going. Track yeah. three, burning train. Burning um, train. I have no clue what the fuck this song is about. I'm already upset. Um, <laughs> the tempo is, is okay, but musically, outside of uh, the pace of the drums, it, it sounds like the the last song. I, I couldn't make any sense of any of those metaphors are supposed to mean uh, that he uses. Is it a burning train to hell? Is it so convoluted? I just, I, I, the line about being marked by Cain, I, I don't get. Maybe maybe he's able? I, I, I no. And, and look, I get it. Metaphor, it means secret. It, no, it doesn't. I'm just making a joke. <laughs> it, it makes no sense. The song makes no sense. Yeah, so in Western Stars, you know, that gave us Tucson Train, and here we get Burning Train. Um, and, you know, I I saw some parts of that it's a tune of love and redemption, and it's as far as, I guess, the train <laughs> takes us. Um, I like the solo, though, you know, and the guitar uh, tone is nice, and Bruce's voice here is capturing that live sound. But other than that, I don't know where the train is going. So, it's yeah, it's a complete yeah. middle-of-the-road uh, song for me, which I'm going to get, you know, uh, repetitive saying that track four, though, we get Janie needs a shooter. So this is the first of the three songs from the greetings, uh, sessions. I was really intrigued to see how at his age and at the point in his career, a song from when he was 22, 23 would be performed. So fun fact time, Mark. Ooh, Yes, uh, is that producer John Landau uh, mentioned to Warren Zevon uh, that there were some songs Bruce wrote, wrote and he couldn't record them due to his lawsuit with his manager, Mike Appel, until that was resolved. So Zevon asked for the name of the song and misheard Janie as Janine and wrote a song called Janine Needs a Shooter. So fun little note there that Warren Zevon has a song called Janine needs a shooter. But now Janie also makes an appearance in Janie Don't You Lose Heart, uh, which would come out as a B-side from Going Down years later. So listen, this is a classic structure for Bruce's song in that era. It clocks in at six minutes and 49 seconds. We get Janie in a series of circumstances with doctors, priests, and cops. Uh, so that storytelling aspect is back and welcomed. Um, this is an early favorite here. Uh, and, and you know, I, I have a, a point in saying it with a particular tone because it's not a song that was written in current times. This is an old song, but that's why I think of Janie Needs a Shooter. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. So 
what does he mean Janie needs a shooter now? I, I think he's referencing to a, a man who can play guitar, right? A six-string guitar as opposed to a six-round pistol. Right. That's where Bruce comes in as the narrator and, and what she needs. Well, it's okay. I get why it didn't make the cut for greetings, and I agree. Best we've gotten so far, four song in a row, uh, you know, four songs in a row where he's beaten the title slash chorus to death. This is definitely the best thing we've gotten so far. <laughs> um, with that said, the next track is Last Man Standing. Um, I love all the little details that he uses to connect his youth and his bandmates that have passed on. Uh, I just hate that he is just beating to death the title slash chorus. It's it's okay musically. It's not as dynamic sounding as you would like to hear, um, given the content, given the fact that the E Street fucking band is playing this and they have so much more depth and range, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So his, his first band was called uh, the Castiles. And in 2008, uh, George Thies passed away uh, from cancer and that left Bruce as the last man standing from his original band. This song is without, uh, without a doubt encompasses those times he had with them as a teenager. Also, the track reminds me of Dion's written on a subway wall, uh, which similarly speaks of all the places in one's youth that you went to. Um, and in this song, we get Knights of Columbus, Fireman's Ball, the Union Hall as backdrops for the band's venues. Uh, it's classic sound e street band here and, and it has a full sound and the sack toward the sax towards the ends uh towards the end excuse me really makes me miss clarence uh and the melody being played towards the end of this uh it came together so for me between janie and this i'm like okay now we got a little two-song momentum here and you know it's to me at least the standout thus far thus far uh next we get the power of prayer i feel prayer here means music and the spiritual nature of music and how that connects people together. Uh, it's therapy for the soul, right? I mean, Benny King is mentioned uh, as he was the composer of the uh, classic soul hit stand by me. Now this song may fill, uh, fall into that filler category for me. Um, I mean, it's a steady pace that's enjoyable, uh, but memorable are the type of moments uh, I'm trying to uncover here. So I'm trying to uncover the memorable moments and I don't quite see any in the power of prayer. What about you, Mark? This song sucks. It feels like uh, a little bit of each of the last few songs, except for the stuff from the 70s, um, with its own chorus slash title getting beaten to death. Um, we're the better part of halfway through this record, and it's an amorphous blob of a song and song titles used some half-baked mantra to hide the slightest change, highlight the slightest of changes. I don't know. This, this song... I understand the metaphor. I, I see where you got that prayer is, is simply, you know, a, a metaphor for music and how music can, can uplift us and all that crap. And, and yes, I agree with that completely. This song does, does nothing to sell that idea other than beat it over the head with itself. <laughs> so to continue on that vein, because I, I agree with you with the previous two tracks, we did have this momentum going. Right, we, we did, and it stopped now. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, look, track number seven is called House of a Thousand Guitars, and I'm going to say this, and I know people on the internet are going to be upset with me. Fuck this song. There you go. It opens with like, this beautiful piano part, and Bruce's voice is perfect. Then he says House of a Thousand Guitars twice in like 
10 seconds. Yeah. And again, and again, and again. And there's a lot of great little bits here musically. It feels like there's going, they're doing more than just changing how the drums come in. And, and I like that they use the piano, but my God, it gets beaten to death with these really cheap rhymes and the nonstop repeating of the phrase, a thousand guitars. Yeah. It, it reminds me of all those pop songs that lean way too heavy on one hook because that's all they had. And the songwriter was like, fuck it. But this is Bruce Springsteen. I, I'd rather not have this entire record than ever have this, hear this fucking song ever again. Yeah. So man, the, the piano intro reminded me of Arthur's theme. So yeah, I had that song in my head. It's a beautiful piano part. That, right. While well, deconstructing this tune. Yeah. What bothers me about this song isn't that it's just like poorly written. There's there's good stuff here. He just shits on it. Like I've got a bowl of spaghetti, but it's got shit on it. <laughs> and maybe that's what the most frustrating part is, right? It, it's because it's it's not like it's crap from the beginning. It's there, There's these moments here. Uh, he mentions churches and jails, which appear in his famous song, Jungle Land. Uh, listen, it's about that escape through music again, no matter what is going on in the outside world, which is inspiring for sure. And the melodies, like Mark said, there's these moments that are really cool. But like Mark, I'm having a super hard time with the repetition of a thousand guitars a thousand guitars. It's way in overabundance for me. Uh, it's it, it's like I get what the song's about. Okay, I get it. I get it. His voice particularly clear towards the end, um, and there's a typically a little twang, especially with later Bruce, but but it's super clear here. So I even like what he's doing vocally. Just making an observation. Um, it's not a good song compared to all the other millions of goodies he has in his massive catalog. So um, yeah, not. Not the fan of this song. Rainmaker, here we go. Track eight. And what I think is a very personal album, this could be a lone political song, I think at least. I'm, I'm just taking it as generalities here, but I, I take it as uh, you're waving the same rhetoric and that they're motivated by self-interest. And as me and you always talk about, Mark, people love to say that they believe uh, they belong and believe to something um, but it keeps us in a cycle anyway this song has more of that twang from bruce uh with the slide on guitar and it gives it maybe like a little country feel uh sorry to be repetitive but again this is just nothing special it, it borders the middle of the road to like low tier for me of uh, bruce songs so what'd you, what'd you think about rainmaker it is not a, a great tune by any stretch of the imagination um i don't know that he's being political here as the, the subject matter feels kind of people struggling with the lies they tell themselves when nothing seems to be going their way. Yeah, That's, I see that too. I yeah. see where you could apply that to, you know, the political clusterfuck we're currently in. Um, some people need to believe in something and they can, they can make poor choices when they, when they do and, and, and even get scammed. And I think that's a little bit what he's talking about. Um, but, but I think it's a little more personal, than it is political. I, I, I don't know. It's fine. It's still just too. Did he have to say Rainmaker 45 times? It? Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I know. So track nine is If I Was the Priest. Uh, yes. The second song from the greeting sessions when Bruce was supposed to be making a folk album. Hands down, my favorite track on the album thus far. <laughs> uh, I guess. Catholic folk music wasn't a big thing in the 70s. Uh, so it kind of makes sense that it wasn't on Greetings, uh, but it's a cool track. Um, I love how he reimagines faith for the Old West. Uh, it 
it swells and falls in all the ways you want the from the E Street Band. Um, Bruce pushes that kind of southern country singer voice yeah. that he likes to do lately, but it, but it's used appropriately. Um, I'd love to know what this song sounded like when he wrote it back in the seventies. Um, like I said, best best track on the album so far. Yeah, so I have another fun fact, Mark. Ooh, I love it. Give it to me. Yes. So this song was written in the early 70s. And of course, this is a strong Catholic and Old West, like you said, imagery. Uh, it was actually used in his audition for his first recording contract, but was not considered for the greetings and uh, remained untouched by Bruce for most 50, 50 years. Woo. So he pulled it from the ashes uh, for a follow up uh, to tracks and was curious how uh, tracks the compilation song uh you know, a uh, box set that is, and mm-hmm. uh, was curious how it would sound like today. And he liked it and he put it on the album again, big Catholic imagery here. Uh, so, you know, I could of course relate to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love how the verses begins with well, sweet Virgin Mary runs the Holy grail saloon. Uh, he almost sounds like at some point, so he almost sounds like he did in his twenties. Obviously uh, he's not, but I give him props really for trying to recapture that magic in the song. I, I could hear gaslight, covering this like during the handwritten get hurt time frame if, mm-hmm. if they were to pull that as a cover uh, i i personally like the the overuse actually of of the word jesus in songs in general to me it gives it an edge uh, and it puts that that character in the mind of the listener and then it's up to them for what they want to do with it from there um like the other songs uh from the greetings era uh, that that appear on here i really liked it so you know definitely a, a favorite too uh, from the mix then we get Ghosts, uh, another song about his first band, The Castiles. Bruce mentions the old uh, buckskin jacket. And in the photos of the band, you can see him see them wearing uh, buckskin jackets. I dig the references to the Fender Twin and Les Paul. What's cool about that line is that Bruce has for like 95% of his career played Telecasters, but there's an old photo from 1969 uh, with the Les Paul, which is pretty cool. I like the pre-chorus of Ghosts running through the night. It's a nice build-up, build excuse me. So I actually, I actually like this song. What about you, Mark? Love the intro and classic pacing. Bruce's vocal performance, everything's great. I wish he would have picked this uh, or Last Man Standing as they're, they both kind of serve the same purpose and neither one does anything that the other one doesn't do. I think this one does it better. Um, like I said, I would have preferred this one uh, of the two as the cliches aren't as thick and he doesn't beat the phrase ghost to absolute death. Right, right. Um, it's two songs in a row where the title is is part of the song, but not repeated 400 times. Although I feel I need to, to complain about a line. I feel the blood shiver in my bones. I couldn't make this out properly when I was listening to it. And then I, I read the lyrics along with it. And I was just like, he knows that blood doesn't travel through your bones. Right. 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 Uh, <laughs> Again, it, it's a metaphor. Uh, it just doesn't fit for me. It, 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 and maybe it's because I'm so aggravated with this record at this point that like that one little line, just like, like a fly, you know, buzzing in my ear. Yeah. Um, once you get the, the count off towards the end of the song and nothing changes, um, you know, after a few bars, you know, like some light clapping comes in. Yeah. And after a few more bars, we get, we get a crescendo. And then nothing happened. Um, you know, the, the best of the original music for this record thus far is this song. It's okay at best. There you go. Uh, track number 11. 
songs for orphans. Yep. Uh, you can feel all six minutes of Bruce trying to channel Bob, Bob Dylan here. Um, it's big and wordy, but musically it doesn't do much, but coast for the length of the song, which feels like it ends because the band is just tired of playing the same thing over and over. Lyrically, I like much of the phrasing and lack of cliches, but far longer than it needs to be and, and was clearly left off greetings for being too Dylan, in my opinion. Yeah, so this is the last of the three, right? Written in the early 70s. Classic early Springsteen here with the singing style of a lot of words crammed into these verses, lots of imagery, which is what really attracted me to the early Bruce records. Uh, I, I, I get that you know that can't be a permanent fixture but it is nice if you think of the album as a whole to have these moments sprinkled in uh lyrically things like black uh black Lynn poet generals restless loud white boys cheerleader tramps madonna gypsy mystic hero orphans just jumped uh on silver mountains lost in celestial alleyways uh whatever that is lyrically you know i, I mean again con in contrast i i like it uh yeah these songs are six minutes long but but they're they're meant to be that way i think and that's why um they couldn't really any be anything other than what they turned out to be which is short stories at the end of the day so uh, probably the least of the three uh, from um the greetings parts but uh but yeah um next is i'll see you in my dreams um it's a rocking, <laughs> rocking companion piece to one minute you're here so it's the rock version maybe of that uh we're, we're almost at the same spot where we started uh it's more of a reflective moment filled with um memories spirits the journey of life um you know promising for uh, pretty promising for you know for death is not the end um through moments through memories and especially music we can live forever um you know is it the best no but i think it makes sense how you would end this album with this song what about you i agree with you that there's a reason this is the last song it feels very familiar in terms of the chorus um, and the, the sound of the song, it, it feels, you've always known this song. You, you put it on once and you've known it. But you know what I was thinking this record needed was, um, is if we repeated the chorus for four more minutes. <laughs> right, right. Let's just do it. <laughs> um, it just kind of repeats the same sentence for four minutes. A, a great guitar solo in there somewhere. Um, I'll see you in my dreams. Why not? It's generic enough. I, I can make another song about all of his dead friends, but... You know, honestly, and, and I adore Bruce and, and I love his passion for his friends and his bandmates, um, you know, and, and the fact that he's still thinking about those younger days and all the the people. I, I just think we've heard this song already twice on the record with different phrasing. Um, and, and I think, honestly, if you go back to Terry's song. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's just a really beautiful lament for a, a friend who's passed and a good way to say goodbye and. And I, I don't know that Bruce needs to write a song for every friend that dies um, if they're just going to kind of keep coming out as the same song over <laughs> over. I think right. that's just my, that's, you know. That's, I, mean, I, I mean, it's a theme for the album. You, know, you have repetition within the songs, repetition on the album as a whole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, final thoughts, Mark. Good. Cool. Uh I would like to mention yes. the cover photo <laughs> yes. is Bruce in New York in December of 2018 before one of his 
Broadway performances, which I do highly recommend you watch. It's a great photograph. Uh, it was said to be snowing over the four days they recorded the album last November in New Jersey at Springsteen's home recording studio. But the album is called Letters to You, and it was released in the fall and doesn't feel like winter at all. No. Um, now, I know more sophisticated music critics will tell you the significance that Bruce is in the winter of his life and all that horse shit. Uh, and that he was trying to capture that. I don't believe it. I think it was a nice picture. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it's a good picture, but it, it's a poor choice of a cover. It, it doesn't speak to what the record is supposed to be about, which is not his mortality to me. I, it's it's a reflection on the people and the things that have, that have lost along the way. It's a the titular letter being from a, a fan, I think. Um, or it's, it's really convoluted what the fuck that letter is even about the rest being old friends and bandmates and songs he couldn't get on a record in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s or 2010s um, it's not a good record it's only <laughs> just better than Western Stars and that thing sucked um, I was very excited to hear he worked with the E Street Band for this record and that it was recorded live but what's lacking here is the time to work these songs out and develop them into their own little Bruce microcosms. Too much of this album feels exactly the same. All the dynamics you count on on this large band are, are just muted, used, you know, instead as filler, you know, background, dare I say ambiance for what feels like Bruce's worst day of writing new material. Um, if you want to like this record, just don't listen to the rest of his catalog. If you want to hear him sing a song for a friend that's moved on, again, Terry's song. Uh, it's corny, but it's perfect. Uh, you want to listen to Greetings, Error Songs? Check this out, Frank. Listen to Greetings. There you go. Good advice. <laughs> There's no reason to listen to this record more than once other than uh, the two songs from, from beforehand. Uh, if I were a priest... And uh, Frank's going to tell you the name of the other one. Uh, Janie Needs a Shooter. Janie Needs a Shooter, which is only okay. Really, it's the, the Priest song is the best of the two of them. Um, you, I really want to like this record, Frank, okay? I know. You know I, I started to unpack it and started to listen to it. That first go-through, I went, oh, okay, well, maybe there's something here. And then as soon as you, you tried to pull back the subtleties and see what he's got going on. Cause when you do that with Bruce records, you get so much, oh, so much. You just didn't get it on this record. Look, I'm, I'm sorry, Bruce. I still love you. But, you know, enjoy being old. <laughs> I, mean, I, I probably won't be able to retire. The least you could do uh, is enjoy it. <laughs> I won't be able to, and you're going you're to retire far better than I ever possibly could. Even if I do get to retire. So please, Bruce, I love you. Thank you for the songs. Thank you even for the shit record. Stop it. <laughs> so like you, Mark, I was surprised that we were getting a new Bruce uh, album. And honestly, we're worried because Western Stars was just not good. And the loyal fans uh, will, will say it uh, and they won't 
most likely like that fact, or they'll like, to, or they won't probably like that we're critiquing uh, one of the best in Bruce. Uh, however, you know, that's the way it is. And there are a few things in the back of my mind, of course, while listening to this record, um, his previous works, obviously greetings was swarming while listening to this um, because we have tracks from that period magic, which again, I think was the best record from the two thousands. And of course the fact that Dylan at his age, released an incredible album with rough and rowdy ways. Now I get it. This is apples and oranges, but it's still fruit. Okay. Uh, the three songs from greetings are, uh, are the high notes for me. Uh, and I liked what I was hearing at his age, performing these and structured differently. Uh, the rest of the album though, comes off as very generic, predictable, repetitive. And I feel like I should never be comparing a Bruce song to Arthur's theme um, at any point ever. Uh, and, and some of this, uh, actually falls into that category of another fellow New Jerseyan, Bon Jovi. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're lucky to get Bruce at his age releasing this new music, but this album and the stack of all of his other albums uh, is middle of the pack, almost lower tier, better than Wrecking Ball and High Hopes. But I don't think that's that's a good bar for standard. So that's my thoughts on the album. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, with that said, Mark, you want to talk about, let's talk about what's next, shall we? Sure. All right. So Mark, next episode, we're going to try a little something different. Uh, we do those spotlight episodes and we're going to be spotlighting um, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Buckley. Now, for those familiar with him, he was what I feel to be an incredible songwriter and singer. And he unexpectedly died at the age of 30 after oh, no. a spontaneous swim in the Mississippi River. Now, it, swimming in the Mississippi River, Frank. I'm telling you, and he was singing a Led Zeppelin song, a whole lot of love while swimming in the Mississippi River. Mm. Uh, now, it's been ruled, of course, it's not being mysterious, and there was no signs of drugs, alcohol, nor was a suicide. So we're not here to refute that at all, but we want to be chatting about Jeff's life, the music, and, of course, the final days and, and legacy. Um, so we're going to be diving into that. And, of course, uh, Mark, I think you're going to be kind of uh, amped and uh, to get into there and see what, what happened, so to speak, right? Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up this stuff and just start listening to them. Um, so if you guys are at home, no no one particular album that they should be looking for, right, Frank? Yeah, I mean, you know, he only had the 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 one album, uh, oh. Grace. With, with, In that case, the, listen to that record. Yeah, the one proper studio album, but then the one, uh, the sketches from my sweetheart, the drunk. Um, right. That that was the incomplete album, but but there's a lot of other stuff that's unreleased there. Uh, Grace is the 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 proper full length album, but that has Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah in it. It's an oh. intense record. It's actually way more polished, and which is why the next album was going to be a little rougher and rocking. Um, but it's going to be interesting nonetheless. So we're going to look at those final days of Jeff's and see uh, precisely kind of what happened and. and just talk about it so we thank everyone for for listening please feel free to drop us a line wherever you can instagram facebook youtube uh thank you of course for listening and stay safe out there hey frank uh we did promise the listeners one other thing what's that mark oh, i don't know if that worked <laughs> uh, my little bullet my my birthday poppers didn't work for you i'm sorry <laughs> hey there we go happy birthday buddy thanks hey. my man bye-bye I love you, pal.